Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. It is Thursday, January the 26th, 2023. It is 7 a.m. here in Spotswood, and boy, is it a cold day outside. If it sounds like my house is taking off, or if the computer starts doing like this, all of a sudden you'll know that something's up because it is windy outside. And I mean, really, really howling out there. And when the sun comes up, well, y'all know how that goes. But it's nice to be in a wonderful, uh, warm, beautiful home that the church has provided for us. And uh, it's nice to be at the kitchen table here. And it's nice to be with you this morning. Hope that everybody is doing very well. Um, today is Thursday, which means this is our last day together for this week. Lord willing, I'll be back Sunday morning at 10 a.m. with our worship service. And Lord willing, that will be in person this week, Old Providence people. Um, I don't even want to talk about last week. But nevertheless, <laughs> we'll be back um, Sunday morning at 10 a.m. And then again, Monday morning at 7 a.m. But let's get to the business at hand. Where we finished up yesterday, or I should say where we left off yesterday, was with the completion of Jesus's crucifixion process. If you recall, uh, we dealt with really some of the logistics of crucifixion again, which um, it, I hope that I'm not coming across cold and calculating. This is such an emotional subject, for, for me anyway, that you can talk about crucifixion and the way crucifixion worked in general, but I, I'm not able to separate that from what Jesus endured and from the fact that Jesus endured that for me. And I didn't deserve it in the slightest bit. This, this love is just unfathomable, but we can bask in it. We can glory in it, and we should. Um, but where we left off yesterday was with the completion of Scripture. Um we had talked about this all along. John kept on bringing out these aspects about them casting lots for his clothing. And where we left off was the prophecy that not one of his bones would be broken, right? And that goes all the way back to, to Psalm 34 and other places too, depending. But nevertheless, goes back to Psalm 34. We also looked at Psalm 69 yesterday, um, where Jesus faced derision, where where in particular that relates to John nineteen twenty nine, where Jesus is is given vinegar to drink. But we looked at the heartbreak that Jesus experienced. Again, such a powerful, emotional, incredible thing our Lord has done for us. But where we ended was with everything being finished. When it came time for Jesus uh, to have his legs broken which again is just so difficult to say, but um, that's what they did often with those that were crucified in order to speed up the process so that they would actually die of asphyxiation sooner. They didn't have to. Jesus was already dead, so they pierced his side and blood and water came forth. And y'all don't turn that, and I meant to say this yesterday, don't turn that into something that it's not, okay? You know, later on, we'll talk about baptism and by the blood and the water, that's that's not that okay this is again showing the fact that jesus is human um and that when his body was done i i, I don't know any way to say this except for you know w when the heart is no longer pumping um it, it your body functions differently 
when it is pierced. Okay, that that's just I don't want to go any further than that. But again, all of this took place right to keep in line with scripture. So finally, verse 37. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. And this is referring to Zechariah 12:10. Now, all of that being said, this is where John ends things. Okay. He makes testimony about himself, right? He says that um in verse 35, the man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. And then that's the end of it. We don't, it's fascinating what we don't get. We don't get the temple veil torn in two, right? We don't get the testimony of the centurion, the earthquake, the darkness, all of the things that the other disciples include in their telling. It's not because it didn't happen. John isn't correcting them. It's just this is what he has chosen to tell. But from there, interestingly enough, we find an unlikely event taking place. You know, it's fascinating what John didn't include in the crucifixion narrative, but what he does include after. And that's where we're picking up today. So let's pray and then we'll dig in. Father, please be with us now as we come to this portion of your word, the aftermath of our Lord's crucifixion and what took place. Let us see the lesson, for it is a powerful one. Let us proclaim our faith boldly. Now, please guide us by your Holy Spirit, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, after the crucifixion, what happens? Interestingly enough, with John, you don't have him saying, well, because Jesus, and we know it was John that Jesus said this to, um, and we covered this a couple of days ago, back in verse 26, dear woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, verse 27, here's your mother. What we don't find is John saying, all right, so... Uh, it says then from that time on the disciple took her into her home we don't see from john what he did we don't see from john what the crowd did the next word we get really is later so this is to indicate that, that jesus has been crucified right after the crucifixion has taken place presumably jesus has been removed from the cross at this point okay later joseph of arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. Now, let's pause right there for a second. Who is Joseph of Arimathea? You know, outside of, of this passage, about the only time he's been talked about is in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, right? His name popped up there. But, but really, outside of this, we don't see him anywhere else. But we can learn a few things. Number one, we know that he has to be a man of means. We know that because of what he's going to do next, right? But not only that, if he's just some dude, right? If, he, if he's just some regular guy, how would he have access to Pilate, the Roman governor? So almost certainly, right, we know that he is a man of wealth who is most likely a member of the Sanhedrin, right? 
the Jewish rulers, okay, the same rulers that would have given Pontius Pilate so much grief. Um, and so maybe as he came to Pilate, he, he had some illusion. But we know that, y'all, this is a dangerous thing to do. The Jews have just gone nuts to have Jesus crucified. And yet, one of them is asking for his body. And we know about this man. We know that he's not just a, a Jewish ruler, okay? We know that he is one of Jesus' disciples. But it says here again at the end of verse 38, but secretly because he feared the Jews. What do we do with that? You know, you have a flat-out admission here from John an indictment even, if you like, saying that this man, Joseph of Arimathea, was a disciple, but at the same time he was a secret one because he was afraid of what the Jews would do. And yet, there is no condemnation besides this. Is this saying that it's okay to serve Jesus in secret? Y'all, I don't think so. In fact, I think that John makes no commentary on this for a reason. And we're going to see that reason in a moment. We're simply told the basics at this point. But spoiler alert, no, it's not okay to be a secret disciple of Jesus. And no, no excuse is offered here for this. Instead, we just see what he did. And that is, he came to Pilate and he took Jesus's body away after asking permission. But it's not just Joseph of Arimathea. No, no, no. Look at who we run into next. Verse 39. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Now pause right there again. Lo and behold, we see Nicodemus. Now, I know it's been a long time since we were there in John chapter 3, but perhaps you recall, and if not from that, I actually preached on John 3, not too terribly long ago on Sunday morning, if, if you're a regular part of our worship. But perhaps you recall how we talked about the varying opinions concerning Nicodemus, how some call Nicodemus, well, to be quite frank, an idiot, right? Because when Jesus says, and, and we're not going to go back and read it, but if you read John 3 again, Jesus comes, or excuse me, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, and he comes asking Jesus how it is he can be born again, or, or, or he doesn't even start there. It's, it's about inheriting kingdom. But even more than that, he doesn't even make it that far because Jesus meets Nicodemus where he is. Nicodemus comes and says, hey, look, we know you're from the Lord because of the things that you've been doing. And then Jesus confronts Nicodemus. They talk about being born again. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born again when he's old? And y'all, what we talked about in here together, or, or here together, um, was that Nicodemus was not asking a biological question. Okay, some people accuse him of being an idiot as if he just can't grasp this idea. When Jesus says, how can a man be born again when he's old? He's saying, is it possible for me to change? How can I become different? I'm old. I'm in the pattern of my way. Can the Lord transform me? Jesus' answer, of course, is the wind blows where it will. The spirit blows where it will. Right. And so we see this wonderful message to Nicodemus. But then after that, Nicodemus just 
kind of disappears. Jesus and his disciples go along their way. So you're left wondering, did Jesus or did Nicodemus come to Jesus at night because he's a coward? It's fascinating here that the term at night is used again. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. The man who earlier had visited Jesus at night is John getting another dig in here at Nicodemus. The only other place that we find him is in John chapter 7 when the, 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 the Jewish rulers are really going after Jesus and, and then they're deciding his guilt and all of these things. And in John 7, 50, uh, starting in verse 50, it says, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Of course, they didn't recognize that Jesus was from Bethlehem, but nevertheless, born of Bethlehem. Nevertheless, nevertheless, that's pretty much the only place we see Nicodemus. He pops up very briefly, and the jury's still out at John 7. Even John writes in chapter 7 that he was one of the Jewish leaders, right? And yet, this is where the case is settled for Nicodemus. John chapter 19, because not only does Nicodemus show up with Joseph of Arimathea, which would have been incredibly dangerous, we find out that Nicodemus provided 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. I believe it was Gamaliel that's recorded that when he was buried, it was only 25 pounds of spices that were used on him. The amount of spices used to prepare a body was indicative of the honor paid to that body, right? That might be equivalent to saying the kind of vault that you buy for somebody or the kind of coffin that they're placed in is equivalent to how much that person is honored, though it's not the same, okay? That's for a different talk altogether. You don't have to spend 20 grand on somebody, um, you know, for, for a coffin to honor them. Please don't hear me saying that, that's, that's not true. Some of the funeral industry is based on the idea that you can do something for somebody after they have died. Do for them while they're alive. Okay, then you won't feel that level of guilt. And to that end is that's what's going on here with Nicodemus. Did Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea even understand what Jesus had been saying about how, hey, I'm gonna rise again in three days. Yeah, a little bit comical, did Nicodemus three days later say, Man, I shouldn't have spent all that cash on 75 pounds of burial spices. But, you know, all of that is just, it's hypothetical. We can think about that stuff all we want to. The point is the state of their heart at the moment. There's a reason that John included these two at this point. Of all the things that John could have talked about at this point, things that, again, John was eyewitness to, he's talking about them. Why? I think part of it does have to do with this 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes, right? I think it has to do with detailing the burial process, because we find out in verse 40, taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. 
because it was the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. We know this has to do with prophecy as well. John doesn't necessarily go there, but nevertheless, again, not only is it the, the courage to ask Pilate, he's laid in a new tomb. That would have been wildly expensive. The 75 pounds of spices would have been wildly expensive. But I think that John does this for two reasons, right? Of all the things he could talk about, why this? The first reason is very practical. And that is that John is showing Jesus to be dead. All right, he is D-E-D, -E he is dead, y'all. There is, there is no question about it. Not only is Jesus dead, they prepare his body for burial. You know how tightly they wrapped bodies and, and it reveals a little bit about what the world was like then. You know, embalming was not a regular practice at all. So you had to contend with the fact that a decaying body would produce odor. So they were wrapped very tight in these linen strips and they were wrapped with these spices, right? To mask the odor. That's why back when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, his sister said, Lord, he stinketh, right? In other words, it's too late for you to raise him from the dead. The, the, the decay has already set in. But nevertheless, that's the first reason John is showing this. So let there be no misgiving. When did I talk about this? A couple of days ago? I think I mentioned then this, this swoon theory, <clears throat> this idea that Jesus went into a coma, didn't really die. Um, I don't even know if it's possible for somebody in a coma to live if you wrap their face that tightly in linen. I really don't, I don't know that it's possible, but nevertheless, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a, a, a can't think of the name of, pulmonologist, I, I don't know how lungs work that well or anything like that, but let it be done away with this idea that Jesus was in a coma, the swoon theory, that he swooned on the cross. We already have the testimony of water and blood flowing from his side. We already have the testimony that he did, in fact, die. And again, the practical side is if any group of people in the history of the world have known how to execute someone, it would be the Romans. OK, they were really, really good at that. And so I think the first reason this little tidbit, this little section is included is to show that Jesus is dead. But why else? <clears throat> why go into who it is? Joseph of Arimathea, the one place that we pop up. And yet, why is this included that he was a disciple, yet he was afraid? And why is it included that Nicodemus came at night? I think the very practical application is this. This does not endorse being a secret follower of Christ because of fear over others. In fact, we have so many places elsewhere where we are told to proclaim the boldness or, or to proclaim the truth of Christ with boldness and to not fear others. Jesus said to his disciples, hey, they did this to me. They're going to try to do this to you. Don't worry. I'm with you. All of these things. So in no way are we given the right to be secret followers of Christ. So why include it? Well, y'all, I think it's because you have Joseph of Arimathea, who's a secret disciple, and Nicodemus, who came at night. We see them finally come into the light. We see these two, who apparently had kept their faith secret, now boldly proclaiming it as they care for our Lord. I think part of this is it shows us that it's never too late. Not really. It is never too late in this lifetime, I should say, 
to stand up for Jesus and to boldly proclaim his truth. No commentary is offered. It's true. No caveats are inserted. But y'all, the application for us here is simple. I think we can all look at our lives and look at opportunities that we've missed. Look at times when we could have been a greater witness for Christ, where we could have borne testimony. And that's either vocally out loud, or if not that, times that we have lived as though we haven't known the Lord. And yet, these two who apparently lived in fear, Nicodemus, all we have is chapter 7, and then he kind of pulls back into the recesses. We see that they are given the opportunity yet again. And this is a theme, the theme that we'll see with Peter, lastly. But it's a theme that's important. Because in the midst of showing Jesus's humanity there and the fact that he's dead and prepared for burial, the scriptures really direct a mirror back to us so that we would look at ourselves. Are we Joseph of Arimathea? Are we disciples of Jesus? And yet, are we that secretly out of fear of others? If so, as it was for Joseph of Arimathea, so it is with us, the time is now to emerge from the shadows. Are we Nicodemus, where we came at night trying to learn we've committed and yet not been very public? Well, the time was then for Nicodemus to go public, and he did. The time is the same for you and me. What motivated them to do this? <clears throat> I think that's a powerful question. Was it conviction? Was it reverence? I don't know. But to a certain extent, it doesn't really matter. What matters is they answered the call of duty. And no, I'm not talking about preparing the Lord. It's at this point that they begin to proclaim their faith and their connection with Jesus boldly. I don't know this, but I think it's perfectly reasonable to assume that one of the things that had gone to their minds was, oh, had we done this sooner? Both of them having connections, both of them very clearly being men of means, did they feel the pain that Peter would feel after betraying the Lord? Perhaps, we don't know. But the lesson is, while the Lord is gracious and merciful, and while we ought to be like Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus in terms of publicly declaring who we are, we don't need to wait. The time is now. And so, Jesus was prepared for burial and was in fact laid in that new tomb. And this is where we leave things today. But we'll come back here. If you have those nifty chapter headings, you know that this is not where John ends. Coincidentally, this is the one thing that separates Christianity from every other religion on earth. Because every other religion, their story, their founder ends at his death. And yet, with Christianity, this is where the story of our faith really begins. With that in mind, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us, and we pray that you would be with us, that like Joseph of Arimathea, like Nicodemus, we would boldly 
show our association with you, but unlike them, let us not wait. While it's still called today, let us work for you. In light of your great love for us, in light of the lost world around us, please convict our hearts. Now, Father, as we go into this weekend, or at least from daily devotionals, we pray that you would go with us, help us to enjoy our time, but help us to find ourselves in your house on your day as we worship you with one another. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, again, we'll be back Sunday morning at 10 a.m. I see we've got Elizabeth and Becky and Rose and the other Becky, and there's Alice and Wayne. Good morning to y'all and everybody else. Lord willing, we'll see you Sunday at 10 and then again Monday at 7. Until then, have a wonderful week.